0: Hello, and welcome back to the Planet Optimist with me, Daniel Oakey.
1: And me, David Woodford. We are back with your weekly touchpoint from the world of sustainable business, helping you digest a plethora of carbon cutting business success stories from around the globe. We're able to keep these episodes pretty concise, nice and bite sized, so that whether you're walking to work or school, on the underground or the subway, our voices will neatly fit into your routine.
0: And as always, we are the podcast that seeks to inspire and promote meaningful environmental change through business. Uh, we want to thank all the listeners who tuned in to our first episode last week and to those who've signed up to our newsletter. Uh, you can find all our links in the description. David, how's your week been?
1: Uh, it's been pretty good, thanks. I Last weekend, had the chance to meet the right Honorable Rishi Sunak. Uh, former Chancellor of the UK and contender to be our next Prime Minister which is fantastic we have a very accessible democracy here in the UK and I'm enormously fortunate for that
0: absolutely uh, what did you ask him
1: well I spoke to him about a point I made on last week's episode which was about net zero 2050. And I challenged him as to why we weren't more aggressive and following the Finland's lead. Uh, But what he said is that he feels 2050 is a realistic goal, considering it represents a wholesale realignment of the British economy. But what he did retort back with, with, which was interesting was that his immediate concern, particularly in the wake of the war in Ukraine, is is energy security, which is a real problem, which I thought was a fair response. And maybe one day we'll get him on this podcast.
0: Who knows? Who knows? Maybe one day. Uh, but squaring energy security in a fraught world and battling to decarbonize is a legitimate concern. And it does sometimes feel like those advocating for each are warring factions, uh, but we'll come to that in its own dedicated episode, I'm sure.
1: Absolutely. But what we're really keen to explore today is, is the carbon trade, carbon credits, and regulations. So, Daniel, as per, and for the listeners, got 90 seconds. How do we regulate carbon? Three, two, one,
0: go. So I'm going to give a more direct answer than last week, so I'm sure you'll be glad to hear. Uh, carbon regulation comes in two main flavors. Uh, the first is carbon taxation, and it does what it says on the tin. Uh, the government identifies a certain tax level to impose on the activities of polluting uh, polluting parties, and you know the more pollution um, equals more tax paid. Fairly similar to a, a sales tax, really. The tax should be equal to the marginal external cost, uh, which documents the harm that producing one additional unit of pollution will cause to society, uh, external to the producer. So it doesn't consider the supplier's marginal cost curve, uh, for example. The second flavor is cap and trade, though I've heard of it as other things such as a uh, carbon credit system. This is when the government allocates quotas for parties to pollute a certain amount. If you go over this allocated level, uh, you have to go to the carbon market and purchase additional credits, a tax in itself, basically. However, the money for these credits go to the companies that are more efficient as they're able to sell their quotas. So it acts similar to a subsidy as well, I suppose. Um, Though in both instances, the burden will undoubtedly be passed from the business uh, to the consumer. The main difference is that in the former, uh, you know the price of carbon, but not the level while in the latter um, cap and trade uh you know the level but not the price a bit like a Heisenberg uncertainty but in economics how do I do
1: very good 10 seconds left look at that absolutely and then explanations to some of these concepts can be found in the show dogs particularly on carbon tax because what I really want to dive into this week is offsetting and carbon credits because tax is fairly self-explanatory offsetting is something people hear of a lot but they don't necessarily get and it's interesting because ostensibly, carbon credits presents a really straightforward way to solve a problem with the mechanism for which for the most part is always the most efficient allocator, as we know, the market. That, that's our personal philosophy, and that's our philosophy at the Plant Optimist.
0: Absolutely. And there are pros and cons to both systems. And I was very sympathetic to the carbon credit policy uh, when I was studying it, at university, and um, for that exact reason, um, you know, the, the personal philosophy of, of the market sorting things out. Um, though I do wonder whether it's just a dressed-up version of the carbon tax system, and at the day end of the day, um, the supply is still fixed in that system in cap-and-trade, so it's not totally free or dynamic, I suppose. Um, both essentially do the same thing, uh, assuming perfect information in the market, which is always an assumption, never reality in economics. Both yield the same results. Um, ultimately, it comes down to whether or not you know best how much damage an additional unit of pollution will cause, um, thus require, requiring a carbon tax, uh, or whether you know the level which pollution is optimal, um, which means you should use a cap-and-trade. Uh, there are a few other nuances as well. You know, For in- instance, you need um, international cooperation for cap-and-trade to work uh, best.
1: Absolutely, so explain to the listeners exactly how cap-and-trade works.
0: So assume you have company A and company B, Uh, the government allocates 50 carbon credits um, equal to 50 tonnes of pollution in which either company can pollute. Therefore, we know that there is going to be a maximum of uh, 100 tonnes of pollution within the economy uh, for that year. Um, Both go about their year of trading and, oh no, company A has polluted 55 tonnes. Thankfully, company B has only polluted 45. Uh, Therefore, B can sell five credits to company A at a certain price. Uh, The example kind of breaks down here because now we're sort of in a monopoly situation, but assuming more actors and more companies, uh, the price that A would have to buy from B or indeed C or D if they had credits to spare um, would indeed be uh, determined by the the market. In your
1: opinion, which one works better for business?
0: Again, I suppose it depends. Uh, one issue I do take with cap and trade is that it results in uncertainties for business. Uh, you know the price of a ton of carbon for today, uh, but you want to know it in three months' time. Um, you know when you have to pay it, it's uh, tough to plan for that. Though with a derivatives market, um, that makes it a bit easier to to hedge this uncertainty. Um, but at least with a carbon tax, you know what you'll be paying if you produce an extra unit.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And you can get futures for carbon credits. But a positive for business, surely, is that the issue isn't entirely static. During recessions, you'll have low production. But if that tax was set during a boom period, companies and likely consumers, as this is to whom the tax will be passed, will be overcharged. But when prices are flexible and determined by the invisible hand, the credit will fall in price to retain an equilibrium with respect to output, surely.
0: Exactly. Uh, and also think about it like this. Uh, when the market can determine the price of credits, this could actually encourage production to get economies out of the recession. Uh, it's not going to be the solution to the problem, but it's, uh, it would definitely help.
1: For the benefit of the listeners, is a carbon credit and offsetting the same thing?
0: Uh, carbon credits are the mechanism by which we're able to offset carbon production. So in my example above, uh, B is offsetting A's excess five tonne carbon output
1: you know what's an interesting concept which is seldom thought about is the fact that offsetting doesn't necessarily have to be action-based but we've got this view that in order to offset you have to buy more efficient machines procure electric vehicles change an electricity supplier the way to qualify for credits and offset is simply by reducing output which you would otherwise have produced i.e if you're a mining company running three operations mothballing a mine for a year allows for headroom uh, for someone else producing emissions, thus generating credits you, you know a precursor to this in America was actually founded by Bush senior really yeah and I was surprised by this because apart from read my lips no new taxes and the Gulf War I really struggled to summarize George HW Bush's presidency in my head did you know what I mean because despite being president of the world's most powerful country I suppose this partly comes down to being a one term president sandwich between Reagan and Clinton But his administration did introduce a piece of legislation called the clean air act in 1990 which effectively set the stage for the frameworks we have today Uh, that act actually focused more on uh, sulfur dioxide so it's called the acid rain program you remember remember acid rain that was a really hot topic (laughs) way back when but introduced the concepts and demonstrated that cap and trade can work Uh, and it wasn't until the kyoto protocols came into effect in 2005 so we're talking 15 years later that in Europe, we got something similar with the where the EU introduced their emission
0: trading system. Yeah, but that had a record beginning, didn't it?
1: You mean after 2008?
0: Yeah, between was it 2000 June 2008 and Feb 2009, the price fell by roughly was it two thirds?
1: Yeah, which sounds great, doesn't it cheap carbon, but actually a falling credit price just reduces the incentive to reduce CO2. Yeah, I mean, it's just people behaving essentially how they like and paying a really small penalty for doing so. But I suppose it was bound to happen in any crisis, a sell-off will create uh, what in this case wasn't simply just a cheap asset, but an oversupply of the right to pollute.
0: We had that on a much smaller scale back in the spring following the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, They dropped from roughly 90 euros to 60 euros in late February, early March time. Uh, But there is a mechanism in place now to prevent a widespread collapse in price, and it's called the market stability reserve. Uh, in the past, if the EU wanted to reduce supply in the market, they'd simply postpone an upcoming auction of credits, and this wouldn't reduce the overall number of units to be auctioned, just the distribution period, effectively uh, kicking the issue into the long grass. The market stability reserve, as its name suggests, uh, holds surplus units in reserve to achieve two primary aims. As we've said, it's to stabilise the market, but also to insu- ensure that a surplus is reduced. So
1: the EU has become like the green OPEC.
0: (laughs) Yes, it has. Have
1: you um, have you ever come across Evergreen? I have not. So Evergreen Carbon offsets have developed a digital route and a verifiable route to purchasing carbon credits online. They record all their transactions on the blockchain, uh, and the credits themselves are sold as an NFT. Uh, You can select uh, the amount of credits your business or organisation requires using their online calculator, and then they deliver to you. A digital offset certificate because each transaction is recorded on the blockchain uh, and as an nft um, no one credit can be duplicated and resold on the open market after they're retired so it provides a third party authentication that what you are buying is legitimate by the way we'll include a link to evergreen in the description so if you've got a business no matter how small you will have a footprint every vista print package every trip to a wholesaler every bank transaction you make That has an impact Uh, and Evergreen provide a surefire way to offset that. Your customers are becoming incredibly conscious of the companies they do business with. I I see that every day in my line of work. Uh, And for business owners, it is certainly something to think about. To be honest, you don't even have to be a business owner if you're conscious that your company is, is not doing enough. Mention this to your boss or your board, right? What's great to hear though is actually, this isn't a European and American focus issue, you'll be delighted to hear that China have their own scheme. And there is a rumor that president Modi in uh, India's independence day address, which is on the 15th of this month, he will be announcing their own scheme. So excited to see whether that comes to fruition. I think that kind of wraps things up for this week, Daniel.
0: I agree if you've found this podcast insightful please do reach out uh, if you have a comment or a question please dm us um, at the planet otomist on instagram and subscribe to our weekly newsletter it goes out on monday so start your week with our circular and finish with our podcast
1: as always be a conscious person do what you can even if they are small steps mighty oaks grow from tiny acorns
0: and as our resident oak it's goodbye for now
1: goodbye